Before I pray, I want to share that um, I always do this, usually for any meeting, I say, I say, Holy Spirit, what's on your heart? What are you thinking? What are you, what are you desiring for a gathering or an appointment or whatever? And I, <clears throat> I was somewhat surprised by what the Holy Spirit spoke, I believe, in my heart. He said, what I'm wanting to do today and what this message is about is going to help people to not be offended in the days ahead, which kind of took me by surprise because some of the things that I believe the Lord's put on my heart sound a little offensive. So I was like, well, well he's like, well, this is, this is helping, going to help. The word I heard was insulate us from offense because offenses are coming in greater measure in the earth Many times, and in the church, because people don't understand what's going on. Why, God, if everything, if you're so good, is, is this happening or that or those kind of things? So when things take us by surprise, <clears throat> there's an opportunity for offense. So, Father, I ask that in these next minutes for your presence to be released, for the anointing on your word, for the combination of you, Holy Spirit, joining with your word and with our hearts being receptive. Lord, I, I prayed it this morning. Lord, may every one of us, in the sound of my voice, may there be a great big yes in our hearts to you, to your word, to your leadership, to your plan and your desires in our lives and in the earth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Roman numeral one, with so much happening in our nation today, socially, politically, economically, medically, I think it's important for us to consider two questions, to ask the Lord for wisdom and what's going on with this in these two questions, for insight into these, to answering these two questions. What's going on and what can we as believers do about it? Now, I get it. It's, it's easy for us. It can be easy for us to just kind of, um, you know, check out or, or just kind of shut some things down and block out what's happening. And sometimes we need to block out what's happening. You can get too much information overload. Um, but it can be tempting to kind of just kind of ride the storm out until everything goes back to normal, whatever normal looks like. But we have been called, church, to be salt and light. Jesus said that. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And not just to sit back in times like this and watch things decay. And watch things get spiritually darker. Salt in the natural preserves a thing from decay and corruption. Light illuminates the path. It, bring, it allows people to see what the right path is to live their lives, to navigate through a living room at 2 in the morning or something. Um, if you're going to get a 2 a.m. snack, you know, you need to turn on some lights. If we're real honest today, that second question, <clears throat> what can we do about it? Maybe, at least I've asked this to myself the last few weeks at different times, is there anything we can do about it? We're just watching it going, whoa, what's next? What's next? And with, in, our, in our media platforms with smartphones, man, we can just 
get minute-by-minute updates on all kinds of things, and you just can kind of get overwhelmed. Well, I want to say to you today, with all my heart and conviction, there is something we can do about it, church. We can do some things. In fact, there's a lot of, there are a lot of things we can do in this hour to make a difference. I'm going to talk about some of these in a little bit. But I want to just hopefully even right now encourage you that you're not just on the sidelines. You're salt and you're light. The last sentence there in Roman numeral one, I'm going to share a little bit some prophetic impressions, meaning kind of bits and pieces of the heartbeat of God that I believe uh, he's put in my heart to, um, in this hour, to help give us clarity in our lives, to help us to see how to respond in a worthy manner to the world that we find ourselves in. It's all about our responses. Worship even today. Worship is a response to God's beauty, to God's goodness. It's not just singing a song. So all of us, every throughout our day, we are making a series of responses to God's word, to, being, to, to mistreatment, all kinds of things. So I want to share a few things here to help us get clarity on how to respond in a worthy manner. Paragraph A, I believe the division and hatred in our nation today is at such a high level that some of the basic freedoms of our nation, the basic freedoms, some of the freedoms that our nation was founded upon are in danger of being taken away. The Declaration of Independence, some of the words there, they describe, these words describe some of our basic freedoms. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is good government. I'm going to say that phrase in the next few minutes different times. There are governments on the planet today that are not good. And there are governments that are good. And the Declaration of Independence outlines some characteristics of good government. You say, well, wait, I thought we were in church today. Well, good government has a lot to do with good church. Good government has a lot to do with, you know what I love? We are called essential by our government. And I don't mean that just, I mean, the Holy Spirit woke me up last week and said, Glenn, you really are essential. Do you know that day here in the prayer room, I had two or three different people coming in wanting deliverance from demonic attack. You can't get that at H-E-B. And, you know, unless God's on aisle five and they come in and they fall before you like they did Smith Wigglesworth and all that, you can read that later. Darby, yeah. Paragraph B, we are witnessing an assault on the basic freedoms our nation was founded upon, one of the, on, on some of the very ideals of the Constitution. I just want to read some words there. I underlined a few things. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, thank you, Sloan Adams, for working on all these things. Yeah, let's... 
I told Sloan yesterday, I said, Sloan, as I left, because he was still churning away here, I don't know what time I left, but I said, your, your dedication and commitment to excellence inspires me. And then Kyle, I told Kyle later, he goes, yeah, it convicts you too, doesn't it, Dad? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> All right, he threw in convict. We the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, <clears throat> ensure domestic tranquility, which is peace, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. That's my grandbaby in the back. Do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. I want to stop right there and say, ultimately, you and I, if you're a Christian, we are citizens of the government of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. But we are also here in the United States, citizens of this nation. And so, in a sense, though, our citizenship in heaven helps us to be salt and light as citizens in this nation. I wrote it in your notes, paragraph B. The Constitution, when it was written, endeavored to give power to the people, not to the government. Power to provide equal opportunity for its citizens, not impose equal outcomes for its citizens. Through coercive force, Many in this country are trying to make this shift from equal opportunity to government-imposed equal outcomes. They, the framers of the Constitution said, we want to give people opportunity for life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. They, we want to give people opportunity for these. That was actually the declaration, but you know, it's both. You know the deal. Equal opportunity is what they had in mind. Right now, we're seeing pressures and tensions trying to bring government-imposed equal outcomes. Paragraph C. So today, we are seeing battles fought. How many of you are seeing battles fought? You just read some of the websites. It's like, so-and-so rips so-and-so. So-and-so bashes so-and-so. I mean, the... The verbs used are just all this bellicose, you know, terms of fighting. We're seeing battles on, on, online and on cable news, on city streets and in courtrooms, at press briefings, and even on front porches, around statues, and around police stations. Battles between mayors and governors, economists and epidemiologists, teachers unions and families who want their children to go back to school. Between those who believe black lives matter and those who use black lives matter as a radical political organization to tear down the nuclear family to defund police, to tear down law and order, 
and to provide unlimited abortion. I bring those three up because this is one of the latest radical political organizations. We'll just stop right there. I said it's a battle between those who believe black lives matter. How many of you believe black lives matter? We're all created equal. We're all God's creation in need of a savior. But the battles between those who believe in that noble biblical ideal and those using this organization to tear down some of the basic biblical truths that the Bible reveals. The nuclear family means, you know, God, you know what I love about God? What's his basic name? Jesus is the way to the Father. God's a father. The nuclear family means a, a father and a mother raising the children. Well, there's a scripture, Exodus 20, 12, says, honor your father and mother. There's law and order that's under attack. Lawlessness will abound, Matthew 24, 12. Jesus warned the, the, the believers that in the, in the generation before his return, there would be great lawlessness will, would abound. So there's the defunding of police, which then allows for, guess what? Lives to be in danger. If you want lives to matter, you want, you want security. You want law and order. So I get put some verses in there to show the things I talked about just now are their biblical values under attack as well as they're part of the unrest and the battles we're seeing in our nation. The third one that this radical organization wants to do is provide for unlimited abortion. Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5. Very clearly, the life of the unborn is precious. The Lord says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. The Lord spoke this in my heart last week or week before, that what's going on with this radical organization is a Trojan horse. Now, I heard it maybe, I think, Kyle, you said you, may, you felt the Lord put that on your heart too. I don't know if others are saying that, but a Trojan horse, that's the picture of it on the screen there. In this battle with, but in, in, that Greece had with Troy, well, back then in a Grecian battle, there was this city, independent city of Troy, that the Greeks had had a 10-year siege around, couldn't make any headway. So the Greeks had a plan, let's build this big horse as a gift of peace, and they'll welcome this, this horse in the city saying, yeah, peace, peace, peace. But inside the Trojan horse were crack troops that were fighting men that came out of the horse and then defeated the city. So we have to understand, they thought it was a peace offering, but instead it was a secret attack. There is an attack going on, and today, I don't know who's watching, but you're listening. I want to warn you, there's a, it's, there's a Trojan horse going on that we have to be understand. Abortion, Lord, end abortion. 
Lord, bring, you are a judge. Lord, bring law and order so we can have domestic tranquility. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to see fathers and mothers. Let's not destroy the nuclear family. Let's see the hearts of the fathers be turned to the children. Let's see the hearts of the children be turned to the fathers. That's what's going to happen before the return of the Lord. So let's be salt and light. Roman numeral two, what can we do about it? I believe from Scripture there are five, well, from four of them, straight from Scripture. One I threw in there, the first one, because I think you can back it up. But five things we can do as the church, not just in this hour, but really throughout our lives. But these are five things we can do as the church. What do we do about it? We can we, voting, praying, witnessing, preaching, which is speaking up when it's, you feel led to speak up. I mean, some of your friends, when you speak up, then they go, what are you preaching to me? We're like, well, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do, right? It's not just me here in my nicely ironed shirt that I ironed this morning in the dark. Um, and then we can do good, doing works Acts of kindness. Real quickly about voting. There's an election coming up in November. I encourage and urge every Christian to go online and download christianvoterguide.com. Find other voter guides. They've done a lot of work for you showing how candidates stand on different issues and whether it aligns with biblical values. So that's one thing we can do. That's a weapon of the church that we can fight against the, um, the enemy scheme to take away good government. Roman numeral three. In the time remaining, I want to focus on that second one on prayer. You know, wonder of wonders, I want to talk about prayer. But in particular, praying for good government. First Timothy 2 Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, basically describes, he urges, first of all, that we pray, and he's basically saying, pray for good government. Because in this passage, we see the ingredients of good government. He says, therefore, I urge or exert, exhort, first of all, that supplications, that's prayers that we, we give over to God, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I put in there dignity is the other, the Greek word for that. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice Paul says, first of all, that tells me that God really wants us to pray for our government. Pray for our leaders. He says all who are in authority. So we don't have a king, but we have a president. We have three branches of government. We have local, county, state, federal. Pray for all in authority. Notice it says there dignity. The Greek word there is semnotetai. I didn't put it in your notes. But it, if, it, how many of you are used to it saying in all godliness and reverence? 
right? Most of you, if you've read that, that's actually not what the exact what the original Greek word is. I, just looking it up in the Greek, it's it's this word it, that we would live lives of dignity. Did you realize that good government involves giving people dignity? A government that is in, leads in such a way that provides dignity. Now, here's where we get into what dignity is. Um, dignity, I think I defined it here, but maybe I defined it in your notes. Did I define it in your notes? Where am I? Last one, yeah. Okay, dignity is defined as the state or quality of honor or respect. When a government provides people with equal opportunity, options, and choices, it is honoring that person's human dignity. Now, that's important to see that. Because when people have options and choices, they're under good government. All decisions are not made for them by a centralized government. See, I'm kind of helping give it, draw us the picture, but I'm connecting it to the gospel. Because what we just read in 1 Timothy was, <clears throat> all of this he's describing good government. Verse, three, for, uh, verse 4, for God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So do you see the connection between government allowing for godly, peaceful living and for there to be human dignity, giving people choices. And then that creates the environment for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread in the most effective manner. The kind of government we live under has a lot to do with how people hear the good news of Jesus. Paragraph B tells us good government is God's will because A, God desires all to be saved. We just read that, right? B, therefore, if God wants everyone saved, he wants everyone to hear. How will they believe unless they hear? That's logical, right? C, therefore, good government makes it easier to spread the gospel because people are free to hear and to choose. You see that connection between peace and dignity and the ability for people to get saved. Do you think it's easy for people to come to Christ in some of these oppressive regimes like North Korea or Iran or Syria or Beijing? A lady came into our prayer room years ago named Furus. She's from Tehran, Iran. She recognized our prayer room logo. She has to hide a, a, a satellite under the branches of a tree in her house in Tehran in order to get, to get the prayer room, the International House of Prayer feet. It's difficult, but it's possible. People are coming to Christ under other kinds of oppressive governments, of, under dictatorships. But when there's a government that allows and create that where the phones work and the Wi-Fi works and the, the, the roads are working, you know, you can get the word out. Since I'm getting excited, I'm, I'll back up. You get my point, though. You get my point. Roman numeral four, keys to effective praying. I want to really kind of land this here 
because all of this was to, I was giving you some impressions so that we could respond rightly. And what's really on my heart today is to encourage us that our prayers for good government really can make a difference. We don't have to just sit and watch and go, well, it's just so bad or what do I, no. We can pray and two or three, if it's just two or three and you're led by the spirit to pray for, for something in our nation, it can affect Washington, D.C. It can affect all 50 states. You say, well, who am I? Well, let's look at an example here in a minute. We're going to look at Elijah, who is a man just like anyone else. And yet his prayers changed a nation. So that's where we're heading. Three things about prayer, though, I want to encourage you with. God has made us a kingdom of priests. As Christians, Revelation 1, 6, and throughout the scripture, we are called, it says kings and priests in some translations, but it's in Revelation 1, 6, it's a kingdom of priests. Kings rule, priests pray. God has called us, church, to rule by prayer. Now, it is true that in one arena, governors and presidents and dictators rule. But on a higher level, those who rule are those who know how to pray. I'll say that again. On a higher level, the people who really rule in the earth today are those who know how to pray effectively. Mary, Queen of Scots, back hundreds of years ago, said this about John Knox, the Scottish reformer, who prayed and prayed and prayed. Mary, Queen of Scots, understood this, that, though, that people who know how to pray rule in their prayers. She said, it's a famous quote, you can Google it. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Europe. I want, I want that to be said of the praying church. Not that we're trying to hurt other rulers, but you, you get my point. If they're opposed to the things of God, we rule by prayer. We're a kingdom of priests. We're on a higher level. B, second thing about prayer. To be effective, our prayers must be directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, we cannot pray effectively. See, the Spirit of God and the Word of God always work together. The power of the Holy Spirit only works through our prayers insofar as our prayers are in line with the Word of God. Because when we're praying in line with the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit connects with them. And then our prayers are effective and powerful. So this means that to pray effectively, we must know what the Word of God says. So I want to kind of conclude with this picture of Elijah. This is what it says about Elijah in James 5, 17 and 18. It's in your notes there. It says, 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And you see, it's emphasized right there at the beginning. Elijah was no different from us. He had the same nature, same problems, same weaknesses as you and me. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. He prayed it wouldn't rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Think of it. Elijah was human just like us. And yet for three and a half years, this guy controlled the rainfall over the land of Israel. Now, if there's one thing that's normally not under our control, it's the rainfall in the land. Scripture indicates that God keeps the rainfall. Throughout Scripture, He keeps the rainfall under His sovereign control. But at that point in the history of Israel, Elijah took over the control of the rain for three and a half years. How could He do that? What was His secret? His secret was He'd seen the promises in the Word of God. That when God's people turn away from Him, God says, I'm going to shut up the heavens and not cause rain to fall. But when God's people begin to turn back to him, God, as a sign of him then seeing his people come back to him, he then opens the heavens and causes rain to fall. Let it rain. Think of it. Now, you know, so, so let's look at those verses. But, uh, see, Elijah knew... Deuteronomy 11, 16, and 17, he knew this principle and he prayed. So he's praying for the rain to stop according to what he knew the word was saying. Got what God's, what, what the promises and the, the truths of God's word. So look at Deuteronomy 11, 16, and 17. And Moses was warning the Israel before going into the promised land not to turn away to false gods. Verse 16, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens, so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Notice the warning. If you turn away, the rain will stop. So on the authority of God's word, Elijah shut up the heavens. But then when Israel turned back to God, there was another promise in the word of God that Elijah was able to claim. When Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8, 35 and 36, this was the second promise that, that Elijah was claiming, this, this truth, and it caused the, the, the heavens to open and rain to fall. When the heavens are shut up, this is what Solomon said, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear from heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So there's the opposite side. The side of God's mercy. When God's people turn and repent, he declares that he will then send rain again. So when there was evidence that Israel was turning back to God, Elijah had the right, that's what I want you to hear, he had the right based on the promises of God's word to pray this really big prayer. 
to claim that God would send rain again. So the key to effective praying, and I'm relating it now to us praying for good government. The key to effective praying is due to the fact that when we pray, we pray in line with the statements and promises from God's word. Psalm 33, 6. Close with this verse. Rachel, you guys can start getting ready. By the word of the Lord, I really want you to get a hold of this. This this is so, it's practical. It's so encouraging about our prayers. Some of you may feel like you're just really not making headway in your prayers. And this principle, by the way, applies to your family, finances, other things. Watch this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath or spirit of his mouth. In other words, the entire created universe was brought into being by two things working together, the word of the Lord and the spirit of his mouth. When God's word and God's spirit work together, all his creative power and effectiveness is present. The same is true for our prayers. We're going to pray in just a moment for our nation from Micah 6, verse 8. So we're going to pray according to God's word for people, for leaders. We've already seen that we're agreeing, 1 Timothy 2, we're agreeing with God's word's desire. Just like God says, I'll send the rain again if you turn. We're agreeing with the fact that God in his heart wants us to live under good government. So we have, but, what, but listen to this, get, let this get in your spirit. When God's word and God's spirit <clears throat> work together in our prayers, then the same power that brought the universe into being is flowing through us. The very same power that created the universe, he created it by his word and by his breath, by his spirit. God's going to do that when we pray according to his word. Let's stand up if you would. Here we are in July of 2020. Our nation is divided. We need good government so that we can live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and dignity because God wants to send a great revival. He wants all men to be saved. Here we are as salt and light, not just sitting back, not just wringing our hands, but we are about to see, we are about to pray together God's word and God's spirit combining to cause shifting in the seats of power. Shifting in Lake Travis, in Austin, in Texas, in the Washington, D.C., in the media, <clears throat> in the streets, among millennials. I fear the prayers of John Knox. 
more than all the armies of Europe. Wow. May the hordes of hell, may the principalities and powers of the enemy. You know, the Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. They don't believe unto salvation, but they believe to the point that they know the power. And the, so the last thing they want is for a Christian to know who they are. The last thing they want, they want to keep us depressed, defeated, afraid, uncertain. They want to keep, they want to keep us that way because they're like, uh-oh, there's a group over in Lakewood that kind of knows who they are right now. They kind of got it, right? They're like, no. Uh, let's take a let's take about a minute, Rachel, and just let's sing first. Because you know when they went into battle, they they brought the worshipers up front, right? Let's worship, and then we're going to pray this this verse up here together for our leaders. And then, you know, like I said, well, Glenn, you just talked about the government. No, the same principle. That we can pray for. God's government over your life, your family, your finances. Let's sing. Let's sing in worship. Let's do warfare in our worship right now.